What's an auto mechanic in modern society? Well, probably one of the most important people in our car-dependent lives and economy. Increasingly, automotive professionals who diagnose both simple and complicated engine troubles specialize in technologically advanced systems and keep our vehicles running for many more miles than we previously thought possible are becoming scarce. Industry experts point to upheavals that began with dealership closures during the Great Recession and an exodus of retiring technicians. Now the race is on to fill a massive demand for the next generation of automotive tech trainees who will earn six-figure salaries keeping electric, hybrid, and alternative-fueled vehicles in service. My guests on this episode of Future Groove are longtime auto specialists turned educators. We discuss Downey's new and growing automotive technologies program for high school students and examine the many avenues to certification and college degrees in the field, all leading to high-wage jobs. Trinidad and Joe, thank you so much for joining us today on Future Groove, talking about all things automotive and preparing students to uh, pursue a career in that exciting industry. Thank you for having us, John. I appreciate it. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You know where I'd really like to start is, uh, and I've done this in a number of our other episodes uh, in other industries, and that's uh, talking to the guests on the podcast about what their career path was in terms of leading to a career in this particular industry, the automotive industry. Maybe we'll start uh, with Trinidad. What was your career path in finding a place in working with students in the automotive industry? Well, my pathway started off in the the early 90s. Of all things, as a musician, I was going to be a music teacher. Cal State Northridge had its earthquake in 94, knocked the school down, made it all go crazy there. And then I joined the Army instead of finishing college. And at that point, I spent time in Germany, Saudi Arabia, a little bit of Bosnia, Colorado Springs, working um, you know, on tanks, trucks, everything that the Army had that was rolling or tracking around. Uh, came back out of that in the civilian sector as a Ford mechanic, eventually reaching Diesel Master. As I aged through that, I decided I wanted to run my own business as an automotive inspector, uh, pretty much make sure everybody's playing nice together in the auto industry, make sure the diagnostics are correct, the right parts are being installed, and the money is moving the right way from the right people. And then um, at some point, I just had the itch. I've always had an apprentice, and I love teaching. And I sought out teaching careers. But given my lack of completion in with a formal education, I ended up working at UTI. And um, through that, and working uh, in high school and things like that, I got a BA and, and finished my credential work. And eventually um, got the position at uh, at Downey High School here in Southern California um, after getting a part-time job at um, a local Rio Hondo Community College. And it all kind of just gelled together one summer in uh, 2018. Since then, I've been here as a dedicated automotive instructor and keep improving my craft with my students and um, the pathways that we have, you know, changing classes up for the new materials that come out, the methods, technology, and uh, just recently completed a, a master's in CTE to really gel everything together. So I'm a little bit more of an informed in- instructor and participant at this level where I can help make the education happen from uh, a, an additional standpoint rather than just been there, done that as a technician. I've been the checker of the checkers, and now I'm the teacher of everybody. 
and uh, hopefully get to make you know plenty of good, healthy uh, professional replacements for me and, and other technicians out there in the industry and for many other industries as well that find the material relevant and uh, that works for them. Thanks, uh, Trinidad. Uh, you made a reference to CTE and getting a master's degree in that area. Our listeners may not be familiar with that acronym. It represents career technical education, and uh, it's a there are a lot of pathways that uh, lead students to direct connections to the workforce and to industry in, in different areas. And so uh, thanks for referencing that. Joe, tell us about your career path and kind of where you started and how you ended up at uh, Cerritos College and in working in the, uh, in the automotive program in preparing students to enter that field. So really, it, it kind of started uh, a little after high school. I started getting into uh, vehicles and such. My stepdad was a mechanical engineer, so he wasn't a car person, but he could fix just about anything. So once I got my first car, we started, you know, he helped me set up a speaker system and do little modifications, that kind of thing. I really got my interest in cars, though, from from my dad because he was uh, I was at the dealership level, more on the sales and management side. So I got my interest in vehicles from him, learning about classic cars, what they look like, the lines of them. But I learned how to fix them from my stepdad. I, I followed a, a traditional path initially because that's really where I was, you know, steered, you know, out of high school, had good grades, ended up going to university. I went to Chico State up in Northern California, got a, got a traditional, you know, a business degree. But when I got a classic car in early, early on in community college, I got a 68 Buick Riviera. <laughs> and I spent, I saved up and I spent, I remember it was $1,600. It was right out of high school, graduated in 1997. It was probably like 98. And I spent just about all the money I had on that car. And I basically slowly was basically making that car my daily driver. That's what drew me to General Motors products uh, right there, getting into Buicks. And at that point, I really, I, you know, I really wanted to just get an automotive. The, the fact that I was already, you know, basically, at, you know, at the time at the uh, the university level, my parents were like, no, you know, you're already, you're, we're paid for for the first year, uh, you know, in the dorms, et cetera. You can do that after kind of thing. Well, that's exactly what I did. So I found a program uh, nearby, a little community college called Butte College, about 30 minutes outside of Chico, California. And I decided to pursue their their General Motors ASAP program. And in doing so, I got a deal. I got hired at a dealership, a Chevy dealership in Chico. Uh, I was doing basic oil changes, you know, maintenance kind of level work. But I, but I loved it. I did that for about a year, and and then I found out that in terms of my my regular degree, if you will, I needed to do like an internship, like a semester long internship to finish. Long story short, I, I made my way back to Southern California, completed that part of my you know for my bachelor's that requirement. And I wanted to finish the automotive degree. So I looked up in terms of where the closest school that had the same program I started um, up in Butte College. And it happened to be it happened to be Cerritos. You know, I'm from Orange County. I'm from Yorba Linda, California. So it wasn't too far. I was able to basically get a bunch of courses uh, substituted, if you will. Right. So um, and then I started the program at, at Cerritos. I got hired at another dealership in Costa Mesa, California, and it was a Cadillac Buick GMC at the time, Pontiac and Oldsmobile dealership Yeah, as, a, as an apprentice. And, and I loved it. I was basically, you know, I would take one class at Cerritos and then I would, that was about nine weeks. And then I'd spend the rest of the semester working with that person or those, that team of people at the dealership that just fixed that part of the vehicle. 
did that for two years. And, uh, and all the while, a lot of the guys were saying, why are you here? Once they found out I already had a bachelor's degree, you have too much schooling for this, you know, but that's what I loved. I was like, I love this. You know, maybe, maybe eventually work for Chevy or at the corporate level or something, but I love doing this. So, um, after, after doing that for a while and, and being on my own, uh, as a technician, I decided to, to try my hand at the, on the corporate side, not wanting to move out of state, go to Michigan or something like that. And I got hired at, uh, at Hyundai down in, uh, at the technical center down in Fountain Valley. Did that for a couple of years, decided, you know, I, I think I want to pursue the educational side of current technical, you know, uh, side of automotive. And I decided to, uh, to go back to school. Um, not that I needed to, but uh, for minimum qualifications or anything, but just to really know how, to, you know, what it entails to become a teacher, lesson plans, curriculum, et cetera. I moved to uh, up to Northern California to, and I went to school at Humboldt State University, joined their graduate program in education. And, uh, and I really got lucky uh, when I first moved up there because I was planning on basically just working full-time at a Chevy uh, dealership. It was split Chevy and Hyundai and then, uh, and then taking night classes. There was a position open for a, a part-time lab, uh, lab technician at College of the Redwoods, really small community college, the only one within four hours driving distance up there. And I really lucked out. I basically got then like an apprenticeship from the one full-time instructor on how to teach, what it's like to set up uh, lab projects and vehicles and everything just from a lab perspective initially. And then about a year or two into that, uh, and I was you know, also concurrently pursuing my master's degree. Um, I had a chance to co-teach a class. You know, I'm in there with the lectures and I was co-teaching a class and learning how to, you know, present in front of the class and that kind of part, you know, that kind of aspect of it. And then I ended up just taking on some other classes, uh, just part-time, drivability, advanced engine performance, doing it all on my own. About a year after that, I got, you know, I heard about the Cerritos opportunity. My predecessor, Steve Berkelite, who was uh, around the time he was retiring, I found out there was going to be an opportunity and I applied for it. And here I am now, you know, I'm now, now I'm, I'm, you know, the department chair of our program here. And I'm also teaching the uh, General Motors ASAP program, which is what I graduated from. So, wow, these are, these are great stories. Uh, I've got to say, uh, Joe, I can really kind of resonate with a, a number of pieces in, in your uh, pathway. I had a 68 Buick Skylark that I always wished was a GS and uh, it worked on <laughs> Worked on that uh, a little bit. My dad uh, was a mechanic uh, through an auto mechanic uh, through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and into the mid-90s. Worked at uh, General Motors dealerships for the most part. He was a Cadillac and uh, Oldsmobile GMC guy. Uh, My grandfather before him was also an auto mechanic, and uh, his preference was uh, also General Motors. And then my dad's brother worked for a Pontiac dealership as a, a paint and body guy, he wasn't, uh, he, he wasn't a mechanic. But when you think about uh, those times uh, back in the, the, the 80s and 90s even, that, uh, the automotive industry then is not what the automotive industry is today with regard to the actual mechanics of all of that. So let's talk about the industry itself. What are some of the things that have really changed uh, in the industry that inform what your students in each of your programs need to develop as a, as a skill set. Uh, what are the kinds of things that have changed within the industry? We'll talk about your programs in just a, in just a little bit, but 
the industry itself, what are the demands there in terms of uh, getting into that industry and, and maybe even some of the new developments there? Okay, so let me jump into this. Basically, we really need techie students. So, you know, as opposed to, like you say, in the 80s, early 90s, what we call pre-OBD2, you know, onboard diagnostic standardization in 96, um, we, need, we need students that have that technical ability. They're good with, you know, computers and apps, that kind of thing, right? To be able to read data and be able to, to troubleshoot. But then in the end, they still need to actually fix or replace a part that, that is, you know, most likely has some kind of mechanical component there, right? So we really need like a blend of two different things. What we're seeing is, at least what I'm seeing at the community college level is fewer students coming in have learned from their, like me, like my stepdad or an uncle or somebody. So a lot of them coming in don't have, you know, the mechanical ability that students used to have. And I've also heard that from some of the instructors that I teach with that have been here longer than me. But at the same time, they're coming in with a lot more of the techie skills compared to even some of the instructors that have been here for a long time. So really the blend of those two skills, that's what we really need. Yes. And in, in addition to that, I believe the, the biggest changes that have happened since uh, cars became computerized are the distinct need for diagnostic abilities, uh, problem-solving skills. Um, in, in the past, you could literally take the tools, go right onto the car, and figure it out mechanically. And now where everything is as an electronic system to it, the ability to solve the problems uh, almost before you see the vehicle, uh, you know, that the idea of it become critical. You know, puzzle solvers, uh, the, the idea of it, of it, I don't want to say gamified to make it sound cartoony, but to be able to have a set of rules that everyone's, a, that they abide by, apply those rules and be able to solve the problem and then make good on it by finishing the the physical part of the repair. It's something that is uh, it is a, a little bit of an uphill challenge sometimes to teach them because uh, many kids come in to our programs, students rather, and with the notion that I'm going to go learn to be the grease monkey that my parents think this class is about. And it is not like that anymore. We're trying to raise technicians. And it's not just uh, automotive, work on, work on your Mazda, work on your Chevy, work on your Ford. This leads into the new EVs, alt-fuels vehicles that are out there that have a distinct turn in uh, the power application inside of the vehicle that they have to worry about, as well as where it's going to apply elsewhere because we're seeing this technology spread from the automotive industry into things just like materials handling, you know, uh, cargo, uh, cargo movement at the docks. You know, uh, I just had a uh, conversation with a gentleman named Mr. Soups at the UC system about it moving into agriculture. And, and, and how all this technology, it's spreading, it's moving everywhere. And the basis you can get for it in automotive is critical. And we really need to push for that in our classes. Any other observations about the industry itself and how it has maybe changed in the last, in the last 10 years? What are your uh, interactions with the dealers uh, and with the, with the manufacturers themselves? I'm assuming that uh, you, you have some contact with the manufacturers Okay, so what, what I could definitely say and speak towards a lot of, you know, the corporate programs that we have, General Motors, Ford, you know, we, where students are working, you know, concurrently while going to school, right? Well, both of those, those two brands have the, the oldest average um, age technician nationwide. And the, the brands realize that. The corporate level, they realize that they, uh, they have more technicians retiring than they do young people coming in. 
Whereas a couple of years ago, you know, at the national level, at least I see this with, with GM, they used to basically have the more the mindset of, well, the dealers are independently owned, so they, they need to find their technicians, right? We just, we just, we sell the vehicles and all this and we do, we, we deal with training and all that, but in the end, they have to find their own technicians, but it's, it's come to a point where they realize, no, we need to help with that process. You know, when it comes to marketing and all that for these programs, um, especially at the community college level, where a lot of these brands, General Motors, Ford, they have partnership programs nationwide with community colleges. They know that they need to find different ways to recruit students and, and especially to go to the community college level where the tuition is, you know, very low and they can get an actual certificate, you know, uh, and degree as opposed to going to say like a for-profit school. But, um, that's, that's the main thing. They, they're more technicians leaving than coming in. What I hear you saying, Joe, is that the demand for technicians is, is rising and is projected to rise in the next handful of years. Is that right? That, that's right. And then the other thing is right now what's happening, I see this all the time, even with my students and the dealerships that they work at. Right now, what happens is that basically there, there are such few technicians out there that some of the dealers will end up stealing them from each other. So basically what happens is, We'll come over here. We'll pay you two, three, four dollars more, you know, labor hour rate instead of basically growing from within. Now, some of the the best practices with some of the dealerships is they know they need to grow from within to actually hire them when they're when they're very green. They're still learning. They're at the you know in a program like ours, but then do that on a regular basis so they have you know these technicians in the pipeline. The um, dealerships uh, that don't do that, they're basically just they're left behind having to pay a lot higher rate for somebody, but they're not training them, you know? So you've mentioned the demand and we've talked a little bit about the demand. Um, we're always interested in highlighting fields that are high demand, high wage. Can you tell me, you made a reference to the wages become a little bit competitive where one dealer will offer more, a higher, a higher wage than, than another, just to make sure that they can fill those technician positions. What, what does that outlook like in the next few years in terms of having, you know, a decent income, a livable wage? Yeah, not only a livable wage. Well, the thing is, when students come in, they're pretty much or, or when the students are, are basically, or I say not coming in, that uh, when they leave our program, they basically have two years of experience under their belt. Right. So some students, um, some students already go, you know, at, they stay at that dealership and they're already getting paid double minimum wage for a 40 hour work week. Right. So we're talking in the, let's say, $30 an hour range. But then, uh, you know, some students, depending on what their particular craft might be, it might be just on, say, transmissions or something that takes longer to really, you could say, complete the, the apprenticeship, if you will, or, you know, alongside someone to then be ready to go and be proficient on your own. Right. So it kind of depends on the specific skill set. Um, but what I, I just found out recently, I'm talking within the last week, there's a dealership in Orange County, Ford dealership. That they have a they have a technician that just reached two hundred thousand for last two thousand twenty two in terms of wages right a flat rate uh, veteran technician and there are multiple GM technicians in the L A and Orange County area that are in the one hundred sixty thousand dollar range we're talking you know technicians that get paid based on productivity so their hourly rate is probably around fifty dollars an hour but their productivity rate is about one hundred fifty percent or two hundred percent. So that's how they end up making that much over the course of a year. Trinidad, you had some thoughts along these lines, I think. 
Yes, yes, I did. As an inspector, and what I do in the cracks of time between uh, between school sessions and summer and what have you, I go dip my uh, my feet back into the pool and go around Southern California, checking in in the uh, the dealership by dealership uh, and doing variety of types of inspections. And the one deficit that I see everywhere mentioned by the both the technicians, the four uh, the people running the shops, uh, as well as the management, is the lack of qualified technicians. And what they'll mention is even when they do get these papered technicians, they have their certs, they've been through school, they still need them uh, to be able to produce the work and stay with it, keep on with it, keep skill development, and keep all the wheels moving, as it were, in the shops. There is a, a, a terrible deficit for workers out there. Uh, locally, there's a BMW uh, dealer that's just nearby where I live, you know, uh, in the San Gabriel Valley. They're down 10 technicians and they have five ready to retire. And they're offering in the neighborhood for experienced technicians upwards of $50 per flat rate hour, if not more. And then they're trying to get people to come on in and they have this terrible deficit. There's not a wealth of people that used to be there. Uh, And there was a huge loss back in 2008 here in Southern California for technicians when a lot of dealers closed, leaving a lot of technicians out of work. They changed fields. And we're, we're filling a lot of that up. We lost a lot of our reserve and we're trying to develop that. And we can get a lot of that influence from the community colleges in terms of their specific brand applications that they have. But working with those community colleges, we can serve the manufacturer's needs and the dealership needs because we have pools of thousands of people that we can start working with in order to help do this backfill. Even people who may not suspect they'd be talented at the, that kind of work. We could start uh, attracting them to it, especially when you hear, you know, numbers like uh, Mr. Mulary uh, just uh, belted out with, you know, well into the six figures, uh, nice living California wages. You know, that's its own special thing in itself. And so that's going to become a very attractive thing to uh, put forward uh, with our programs in the future. Tell me a little bit about specialization. I think we've painted around the lines a little bit, but we've talked primarily about auto automotive technicians. Uh, as a general uh, a group of uh, of tradesmen, what are the specializations that uh, that students uh, find themselves attracted to or going into within this particular industry? So what I can say, John, is that the specializations have pretty much been around with the domestic, you know, brands, GM, Ford, uh, formerly Chrysler, now they're called Stellantis, but. GM and Ford are really, you know, for the most part, uh, in terms of dealers I see, still a lot of times sticking with specialized parts of the repair. For example, they're the only two brands that still get into, uh, you know, repairing transmissions, like automatic transmissions. Even Mopar Dodge products, you know, now called Stellantis, they're their parent company. They no longer do that anymore, along with the Asian and and European uh, brands for on the on the import side. So you need to have a, someone who just does transmissions all day, right? The other thing is a, a diesel technician. So General Motors, Ford, you need somebody there that only does diesel, light duty diesel work. Now, it used to be just on, say, you know, three quarter ton trucks or bigger trucks, but now, and medium, medium or heavy duty, but now there are a lot of small vehicles that are diesel vehicles too, because even though the emissions have become a lot more stringent, the, the fuel mileage is there. So you've got, you know, little compact vehicles that, you know, get 40 to 50 miles per gallon. So you need to have a, at least one dedicated diesel technician. And then the third thing is hybrid and EV technicians. I mean, those are the three calls I get from dealerships. I need an EV technician. 
I need a transmission technician and I need a diesel technician. And we're not talking about the same person. And so with more market share going towards hybrids and EVs, um, a lot of the veteran technicians, you know, frankly, don't want to don't want to work on the hybrid hybrids and EVs because they're a challenge and it's its kind of own unique you know, vehicle and, and the technicians need to be certified to do so. So it's not like they could just throw anybody on there. They have to have the specific training and, and, and of course, in terms of safety and all that to, to work on those vehicles. So those are really where the needs are, you know? Yeah. So what I've, what I've noticed with specialization uh, from my end where I'm teaching more of the entry level and uh, what I, uh, with what I see is people very interested in particular brands um, that starts it off. But as we start our program here with the, um, you know, alternative fuels and advanced transportation uh, scheme that we're coming up with, is that when it comes to EVs, alt fuels, diesels, and all the, the mixed derivatives that, that happen, is we do need specialized technicians, and the students are looking after that and uh, seeking it, as well as the traditional, I want to be a hot rodder, I want to be a tuner, I want to you know, be a body person, uh, and, uh, and the like. And you know, we can tend to all of that, but the, the big challenge uh, making all of that happen is still seeing that all the skills feed those particular uh, specialties that they want. And, uh, and, you know, at least we have the, the ability to give all the base skills to set them off on the right path of, to feed those needs. Talking about setting them up on the right path, uh, oftentimes we, uh, when we develop educational programs, we, we work, hopefully we're working from industry to uh, those advanced training opportunities all the way into high school sometimes into some foundational work in, in middle school. So why don't we start with you, Joe, and talking about your program uh, that's there at Cerritos College, community college, which uh, a, a lot of the kids, a lot of students from uh, Downey Unified end up matriculating to. And uh, the automotive program is, uh, is becoming uh, or has been really attractive to a number of our students. Tell us a little bit about that program and the students that you have training there at Cerritos, we have a we have several different options for students coming in. So we have a large program. We're of course in a real good geographic area where we pull students from Orange County. We pull students from all over LA County. So geographically, we're in a good spot. Also close to the Cerritos Auto Square. So a lot of our students end up getting hired over there. We have a dedicated General Motors pathway. So we're one of fifty one schools in the nation that has a dedicated what's called a GMASA pathway. We also have a Ford um, asset pathway. There are, I believe, somewhere around the neighborhood of 30 different programs nationwide, you know, in terms of that have a Ford specific pathway. But we also have a bunch of other partnerships that aren't dedicated, but partnerships with other brands like Subaru, um, Nissan, Audi, and also Mercedes. Basically, a lot of the other brands have realized that, you know what, we need a specific training, you know, path, if you will, for students at least to get them introduced to our vehicles. Um, a lot of it too is just basically brand rec- recognizing the brands. You know, When I was young, everybody knew what General Motors stood for. Now, a lot of the students, they don't know that that incorporates Chevy, Buick, GMC, and Cadillac. So you can't just say General Motors. You know? So a lot of, a lot of it, you know, even you know, with other brands, is just basically let's introduce them at the high school level to some kind of tech, you know, technical training and We'll see, we'll see where it goes from there. At least they know about our vehicles. And if they choose to take that path at a, at a, at a community college, then, then great. Now that uh, Trinidad is, is you know, going to be teaching the, you know, dual enrollment uh, courses for us, that's, that's great. 
Um, we're the automotive, you know, in our whole division on campus, we're the first department to actually already have a dual enrollment pathway with, a, with also another local high school, which has worked out really well. And so I think expanding this is, you know, with the students at Downey is, is going to be really good partnership. As a Cerritos College student that's interested in the automotive industry, what kind of time investment am I looking at as a student entering into your program from you know, start to completion? So, you know, we've, we've got basically between one year and two year, depending on which pathway they, they choose from. Even though we have a, several pathways that feed right into a specific brand, you know, I really should mention that our general technician pathway is the most popular. You know, right now we have uh, in the realm of between 400 and 450 students in our program. And I would say 90% of those students choose to take the general pathway where they're basically taking classes that prepare them for industry, uh, you know, credentials with ASE. And they, they don't want to choose up front, you know, okay, I want to work at this particular brand, right? Some students that are just coming in and they just, they want to get into the workforce. They don't want to take the comprehensive certificate. They, they can complete that in as little as two semesters. So that would be taking four classes, an intro class, an auto 100 class, and then basically learning about brakes, steering suspension, and electrical. Um, just with those four classes, they could easily get an entry-level job, whether it's at an independent shop, at a, say, a tire repair shop or a shop that just does alignments, that kind of thing, which there's a lot of service work, or even an entry-level uh, position at a dealership. So a lot of students choose that, you know, that entry-level pathway and then end up staying and completing the comprehensive one. One of the really exciting developments in this particular area in Southern California is the partnership that has occurred between uh, Cerritos College and, and Downey Unified. Trinidad, you are the uh, instructor at uh, Downey High School for the automotive program there. Tell us a little bit about that program and how it's structured and uh, about the student interest in that particular uh, field and, and what's happening there. Well, the um, the automotive program here at, at Downey High School started off with the simple maintenance and light repair program, year one, year two, with the year three, and uh, articulated to a local community college. Since it's developed into uh, a a dual, we have two pathways now. One is a simple maintenance and light repair pathway for two years, which is auto 101, essentially, I guess you would say, if you uh, prepare somebody for the industry in general without a very narrow focus, although we can address those focuses from within. If a student asks me, I want to be a Chevy technician, okay, I'm going to focus a lot of your projects this way, but it's not what the program is based in. Likewise, I've, I've even had locomotive students that wanted to get involved, and we've tried to address that as best we can. Uh, as this, uh, this, this past year started, we started the alternative uh, alternative fuels and uh, advanced transportation program we have here, where this year we're doing a pilot where we're dipping our feet into the waters of, of, of what's to come with Cerritos College, where uh, we are building electric cars. We are focusing on a lot more electric work. Uh, we are running um, small engines on different types of fuels to exemplify how uh, different uh, methods of power generation can occur from different energy sources. And uh, it, this is going to marry up to the classes that we have uh, with Cerritos to make a second pathway that is, it's not a different separate thing from automotive. It is the alongside equal to pathway that is uh, coming along for the automotive industry. And right now, just like uh, Mr. Mulary had mentioned before, these require special certs if you're going to work in different dealers for EV, for hybrid, for their alt fuels, for hydrogen, for diesel, et cetera, et cetera. And it's as, uh, it is 
narrowing to the point where the technicians coming out, where it's going to be all general at some point uh, here. I, within the next decade, I'd, I'd like to say where you're not going to go work on a vehicle. It's all that's uh, it, got one pathway or the other to it. It's all going to be unified because it's inescapable. And um, training um, the students to that effect where they can pick this new pathway or they could pick the established pathway. It's attracting tons of students. I'm, I'm always over full. I have people um, knocking down the doors to come in the summer. They want to come in after school, Saturday morning school once in a while. They come on in uh, just eager to just dive on into it and uh, see what the what it has to offer. It, I even have people that cheerleaders, you know, that you wouldn't even expect, you know, Mr. Lenaris, I know nothing about my car, but I'm driving this. What can I do? And they start getting a new interest in things. Our feminiers, our, our STEM attractor for, uh, for, uh, for women, to bring them into the variety of technical industries, I got invited to go talk to them. I get to go bring them into the mix, hopefully. And, uh, it, you know, we reach out with our CTE fair that we have once a year here on campus to get more students coming on in. And uh, we even have kids from other districts becoming attracted over here uh, in a semi-magnet program because uh, we're so uh, rich with what we, we can ap- apply here, not just automotive, but all of our CTE programs here that we have in the district. It, it's, uh, it's, it's a very heartening thing to see when you have, have a class full of 40 kids and the vast majority of them are, are focused on what we're doing. And if it's not application for a direct automotive career, uh, technical careers, or they allow me to work with them to tie in the automotive work to whatever career path they want, making this very valuable, even if they're not going to be picking up the wrench to make their living. Joe, tell us a little bit about the alternative fuels and advanced transportation program at Cerritos. Kind of piggybacking a little bit on what Trinidad's saying. You know what? What I've noticed at Cerritos is the students that want it. A lot of times, the students that want to take the EV classes or some of the advanced transportation courses are not necessarily the students that are traditional gearheads that want to take automotive. When when somebody enrolls in our classes, we can see at the community college level, we can see what you know on the roster what their major is. And a lot of times, it's in mechanical engineering, electrical engineering. It's something completely different then uh, they're not even automotive majors. You know, I want to learn about EVs. I want to learn about the, the battery management system. And they want it. They're real techie. And they want to learn all about it. And then sometimes we bring them in for some more classes after that. So that's kind of that's kind of what we've noticed. Now, I should also say, though, our engine repair classes, our mechanical classes are still really, really popular. So I would say overall, as, as much as the legislation is coming down with with EVs, it's still it's still a little bit m- of a niche, you know, interest from, from the student standpoint. I would imagine that in, uh, in pursuing alternative fuels and advanced uh, transportation, especially the EVs, that there are some perhaps different uh, kinds of hazards in working with, uh, with vehicles that uh, are electric vehicles. Uh, and so how, how have you transitioned or what kinds of things have you incorporated into that training and in helping students understand that because it's a bit different, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I would say initially, for example, with the program that I teach, just focusing on, on general motors vehicles already for three or four years, I've integrated just basically a high voltage powering down the high voltage system, you know, the high voltage disconnects, knowing where, you know, do, doing everything properly in terms of uh, using the gloves all that kind of stuff, even though we're, you know, we haven't gotten in as much in terms of removing batteries, that kind of thing. A lot of it just comes down to safety and 
because we are a satellite training facility as well, I mean, that's a big part of just, you know, what we're showing students is these are the basics of what you need to do around these vehicles, kind of demystifying them. And most of our students by the second year are pretty comfortable working around these vehicles because at work, they see them all the time. And they know by, you know, by training with us at the college, the appropriate tools to use and the safety. I mean, they learn that fairly quickly, I would say. For our part here at Downey, since we've just added in uh, the the EVs and alt fuels, one major thing that I've had to do is first ramp up the awareness that these dangers exist in terms of the batteries, the in the motors, the high voltage situations, the what to do when there's a problem, if a problem should happen, hope not. And uh, one, raise that awareness up, get the danger sense going on at the same time dispelling the fear of that danger so we could uh, get our students to learn how to do these dangerous things, these dangerous things carefully so they they don't operate in a sense of fear, but they still operate responsibly. This is, you know, everything from the safety hooks to the glove checks, the the pinhole checks in the gloves, the, uh, you know, disarming the um, the electrical system and uh, making sure making sure that there's the dangers are absolutely minimized by being hyper aware about what you're doing all the while making sure everyone is careful, but also not running around in a complete fearful state, um, which we experience a little bit more with kids who, uh, you know, their imaginations become a little hyperbolic when it comes to, you know, fear and danger. They think that, you know, if you touch a battery post, you're going to electrocute yourself or something like that when it's nowhere near the case whatsoever. So we, we do work on that. They pass tests where, yeah, we do a, a you know, like a more or less a mock uh, OSHA uh, style test to get all their kids ready to go into the shop and be aware of what is out there. So uh, when when the day comes that they do start working with our cars that we have, our new EV kits that we have on hand, the uh, they work with responsibly, safely, uh, but they're not scared of it and they're not afraid to put the wrench to the bolt. Well, both of you have been working uh, in this space in training students and developing uh, skill sets. Do you have some stories? about some students, some success stories that, uh, that you can think of immediately about a student that came into your program and uh, left with, you know, a really strong sense of what they wanted to do moving forward. One that comes to mind, and this was only a, a couple of years ago, a student came into our, our program from a, a feeder high school that's way out in the San Fernando Valley. So this student was commuting from the, roughly Van Nuys. I, I helped him get uh, hired at Key Chevrolet in Van Nuys. Went through our program. That's a lot of commuting back and forth. Within two years, he was able to buy a house. And I was just so proud of him because he was, gosh, I would say maybe 22, maybe, you know. And, you know, now we he follows us on Instagram. You know, we have an Instagram for a GMA set program. He follows us. I follow him back. And I see now he's he's married and he's got a young child. But just the fact that he was able to buy a house in Southern California in two years of graduating and being a flat rate technician, I was just really proud. That's a great story, Trinidad. Yes, my my uh, my favorite story, and I have I have a you know students have gone to different shops and military and you know and things. But my favorite story is a uh, young man named Ian, who uh, while we were uh, put into the COVID situation, uh, he had me for a year uh, physically, but then we went through the COVID situation online, and his family fell on some rather hard times. Both his parents lost their jobs, and uh, didn't know what to do with himself. Had no idea what was going to go on. And uh, found out that he'd taken what he'd picked up in our classes here and built his back of his truck, <laughs> a beautiful pickup truck, put some toolboxes back in there, 
started wandering his neighborhood, made business cards, became a mobile repairman. And he managed to, at, at 17 and a half, after the school hours on the weekends, managed to start pulling down enough income to keep his family afloat all through COVID, his graduation, and eventually moved to Texas and started opening, uh, opened up a formal, I mean, actual, you know, legitimate uh, mobile repair business. And he's, he is working for himself, making his own, uh, making his own dollar out there. And he's uh, doing quite nicely. And his family's back on its feet. And it's not often you get to hear that the teenager saved the day and had the presence of mind to behave professionally, you know, apply his skills in such a way that it was fixed right the first time. Mr. Limulari and I can both tell you stories of, wow, I can't believe that kid did that. And, you know, after 20 hours of instructions, they still do that thing incorrectly. This kid hit the marks. Very few times that I get a phone call, Mr. Linares, can you please save me? And when I did, I'd help him out. And it turned out nine times out of 10, he had the answers ready to go already. He just had needed a little bit more faith and a pat on the back. And uh, the fact that he managed to pull that off and then I said, hey, I was a part of that. I got to, you know, support that. And Downey went ahead and had this venue for him, had all the support for him and uh, made that happen. And I got to guide him. It was one of my the high points of my career, you know, along with all the other technicians that ended up at Nissan, ended up at Ford, military, uh, what have you. I even have I even have a longshoreman, uh, you know, under my belt, and uh, you know it's it's uh, tremendous to watch. I really really like seeing that, and as that's the kind of success that I want to see. The name of the game is not uh, only workforce improvement, but it's the life improvement that the the, the students get as, as well. And, and it sometimes it gets lost in the mix because of the our big overwhelming goal here is to make sure that our country and our our workforce is effective and survives and not, suf- not suffering these deficits that we have. And it's nice to see that we do have people that can stand up and do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. I think both of you touched on this a little bit, but I just can't resist myself in asking this question for the benefit of our listeners. These stories that you've just told, are they one-offs or are they more characteristic of the general rule of what's coming, uh, the students that are coming out of your programs? We have a lot of good students that are following kind of kind of like what Trinette's saying, just maybe different paths within automotive. Some of them, you know, but there are a lot of, you know, motivated students coming in that they're seeing in two years, they could have it up, you know, be able to apply a skill and make and make a good income. I wish more people knew about that because, you know, it's you don't just necessarily need to get that that bachelor's degree. You know, this is a this is a good income. Well, that's what we're working on here with uh, with Future Groove. And our time is just about over. Uh, it, it's gone by uh, pretty quickly. But I'm, I'm going to end this episode with the same question that I've ended a lot of other episodes uh, to both of you. And that is, what is your future groove? As you think about the next two or three years, what is it that uh, you would really like to see happen uh, in your programs and uh, maybe even in the industry in general in terms of uh, preparing students for a good career in the automotive industry? Well, what I'd like to say first is um, because, you know, at least with us at Cerritos in the, over the past couple of years, we did have a couple of retirements. I want to get back to being able to start a new cohort. There's the demand from the student standpoint, a new GM, a new Ford cohort every year in Southern California, where we're located, there's definitely the demand out there to basically have a cohort of, let's say 20, 25 students a year you know, go through our, each of those programs, but also from a standpoint of uh, on our general program to basically get, have two pathways, one for a students to just want to take classes in the morning 
because we don't have that quite yet. And and one for students that just want to pursue that program in the evening, we already have that. But really, two separate general pathways, I think, is really what's going to uh, benefit students the most. Trinidad, your future groove. Uh, what I'm looking forward to in the future is really solidifying the relationships that our program has both here on campus as well as uh, reaching out to the community colleges, uh, in particular Cerritos. They've been <laughs> the most proactive locally uh, by far, but also with the manufacturers that are out there uh, at both the corporate level and at the nearby uh, franchise level where um, people realize that the automotive sciences, the automotive applied sciences are, I, I believe, and if, if, if I'm mistaken, I'm mistaken, I believe they are the most applicable, widespread method of a student from, from whatever educational path uh, background they have to apply what they've learned because they, they have the chemistry, they have the business, they have the physics, they have the actual work skills, the professional skills on uh, learning how to do a thing and serve themselves, serve their, com- serve their community and build relationships. It's all baked into the pie in our programs. And uh, my future, I'd like to see the chemistry classes coming on over for a little show and tell the English classes coming over here for technical writing and maybe have a little seminar over here uh, show and tell day for come learn how to uh, check out your you know, maintenance items on your car, as well as have maybe relationships uh, with the, the schools, both at the four year in, uh, you know, co- uh, community college level where we have students going back and forth um, with for some show and tell relationships here and there and really building up a true network with shorter walls in between, you know, and, and so it's it's not a hurdle. It's not some big deal to go approach and work with all these different entities from my program and back and forth. That's what I'd like to see happen most of all to to really get all of this working because at the end of the day, everything can't happen in its own little microcosm. It always branches out to something else that we need to see and uh, hear and work with. Well, Joe and Trinidad, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on Future Groove. Thanks, John. This has been a good conversation. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us today on the Future Groove podcast. You can find the show notes for this and other episodes on the Future Groove website by connecting to futuregroove.com. You'll also find links to organizations and resources referenced in today's conversation. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us. Our email address is john at futuregroove.com. We are especially grateful for our executive producer, Kelly Cooper, and our pre- and post-production engineer and studio master, Nicholas Chamberlain, at Every Word Media. Until next time, I'm John Harris wishing you all the best in finding your future groove.